Welcome back to a People's History of the Old Republic. Last time we traveled to Yavin Station, visited the Valley of the Dark Lords, and closed down the Sith Academy on Korriban. Now, in episode 31, we finally get to meet the Rakata in the flesh, witness the duel on the Temple of the Ancients, and discuss the very, very dark side of Revan. I'm Luke, that's Kelsey, and there's always a bit of truth in Legends. Knights of the Old Republic, Part 9, Rakata Prime and the Temple of the Ancients. Before we push forward to the Starforge system, we need to revisit a few things that we either glossed over or totally missed on Korriban. The first thing is following up with all ten Sith whom Revan redeemed on Korriban. Most scattered to parts unknown and their ultimate fates were never revealed, but there are a couple exceptions. The Aqualist Force-sensitive, who was being tortured outside the Academy, said he was going back to live with his mom, who was going to be very mad at him for not becoming a Sith. Poor kid. Dak Vesser, meanwhile, can be found in the drunk-side cantina on Korriban after his redemption, but says he won't join the Jedi or return return to the Sith. Thalia May and the two Twilight Sith who deserted the Academy and were later saved in the Shirak caves, fled from Korban and were never heard from again. Mekel, the Sith hopeful who had been torturing students but saw the error of his ways after being tortured, funny how that works, told Revan he would take a gray path after fleeing. Dustil Onasi, Karth's son, went to warn his friends at the Academy of the Sith and their lo- at the Academy of the Sith about their lives before leaving Korban. Dustil and Karth did reconcile and agreed to meet on Telos IV, which is a touching sentiment that probably never came to pass. Shortly after the bombing in 3958, Telos IV's atmosphere became acidic vapor capable of eating through starship hulls. The spirit of Azundapal, meanwhile, became one with the Force nearly 3,000 years after his death. In his last moments, Paul hoped to see his old Jedi Master and apologize for everything, which is nice and all, but that reunion with all the dead Jedi in Force Heaven must have been awkward. Finally, two of the ten, Uthuraban and Kel Agwin, will rejoin the Jedi on Dantooine if Revan goes to Korriban before the world gets locked out. Uthuraban says that her old Jedi Master cried when she returned and agreed to train her again in the future, which is extremely touching. Unfortunately, we don't know what happened to Uthera canonically, since she was redeemed after the Dantooine Enclave was destroyed. Um, Cal Alguin, meanwhile, has an incredibly specific canonical end. He died in the Battle of Corban at the Sith Academy when students ambushed Revan for being a spy. The second thing we want to revisit is the Great Hunt side quest that ends on Corban which we've, refer- we've referenced several times, but now we can finish the story. You might recall that the Great Hunt was first mentioned by Master Disra Lerjada as an optional side quest during the events of Knights of the Old Republic in 3956. Later, a KOTOR prequel comic, Shadows and Light, was released and set in 3993 at the tail end of the Great Hunt. In episode 28, we finally arrived at the Great Hunt in the KOTOR narrative, learning about the event from Master Disra after finding the data pad of Gunhan Suresh on Kashyyyk. Suresh was one of three Jedi Knights who went to Korriban in 3993 after the official end of the Great Hunt to kill the last known Tech in the galaxy. However, Suresh was killed and eaten by the Tech on Kashyyyk after leaving his companions to their fates on Korriban and following rumors to the Wookiee homeworld. Gunhan left his Tech hunting partners Duran Keldroma and Shayla Nur after they fell in love, an act he viewed as a violation of the Jedi Code. Ironically, his eventual death was in part caused by his own pride and arrogance, virtues that also would seem to violate the Jedi Code. Insert the Palpatine ironic meme right here. When Revan arrived on Korriban in 3956, he discovered the rest of the story. After being abandoned by Suresh, Shayla Nur and Duran Keldroma attempted to finish the job and depart, but it was not to be. The Jedi traced the Tarentatech to the Valley of the Dark Lords and felt Suresh's death on Kashyyyk through the Forest 
through the Force due to their intense Force bond the trio shared. Duran and Shayla tracked the Terentatec into the Shyrak caves, but the Terentatec got the better of them, mortally wounding Keldroma. Shayla, grieving over the loss of her lover, sought revenge and pursued the injured Terentatec to the tomb of Naga Sadao, where the Jedi met her end. There, Nur encountered a second Terentatec and died shortly after her Solari lightsaber crystal failed when she strayed from the light side. The Great Hunt would go unfinished for 37 years until Revan arrived and killed the Terentatex on Kashyyyk and Korriban. For his trouble finishing up the Great Hunt, Revan receives three items that are each restricted to light side users. The Circlet of Suresh, the Kaldroma Robes, and a Solari lightsaber crystal. The Circlet is a fairly useful piece of head armor, though Revan also had to fish it out of the remains of the Kashyyyk Terentatec, since Goon Han was wearing it when he was killed and eaten. The Keldroma robes, meanwhile, are the best armor in the game for Force users, at least until Revan arrives on the Starforge. Finally, Shayla's lightsaber crystal is one of the strongest power crystals in the game, becoming overpowered when combined with the Mantle of the Force or Heart of the Guardian special crystals that can be purchased on Yavin Station. In the end, the Great Hunt was little more than an extended lore dive to grab some great loot, and that's just fine with us. However, I still have no idea why they choose to base the only KOTOR prequel comic on an event that took place 37 years earlier, and three characters who only appear in the game as dead bodies with journals. Back on Korriban, we rejoin Revan as he makes his way to the Ibn Hawk at the Dreshde docking bay. Last time, Revan and his companions infiltrated the Sith Academy and later the Valley of the Dark Lords, seeking the fifth star map and some good loot. They found both. The valley was filled with many exotic treasures for the taking, and Revan alone located the star map deep within the tomb of Nagasadao. On the way out of the Academy, Revan's identity was finally compromised, and he was forced to fight his way to the exits. In the process, Revan completed his goal of redeeming or killing every Sith at the Academy, effectively breaking it as a source of new Force users for the Sith Empire. As the Ebon Hawk departs Korriban, we're about to take one of the farthest trips possible in the Star Wars galaxy. Revan and his companions are traveling from Korriban in the far northeastern reaches of the Outer Rim across the entirety of Republic space and into the western unknown regions to Rick. Rakata Prime. As always, there's a galactic map in the show notes if you're confused about the geography of this fictional universe. Cartho Nassi punches in the navigational chart provided by all five star maps, and the Ebon Hawk jumps to hyperspace, bound for the Star Forge and a date with Destiny. With the ship away, a cutscene begins showing us how Bastila spent her time with Darth Malik. In the depths of a Rakatan temple, Bastila is restrained on a stone slab while Malik tortures her with force lightning. Shan claims she won't ever break under dark side under torture, but that seems unlikely as we already know she's fearful, angry, and full of pride. Malik claims that Bastila will turn willingly and continues torturing her, but we've got a bone to pick here, or at least I do. How is it being willingly turned to the dark side if it involves prolonged mental and physical torture. They did the same thing with Keldroma, who was tortured and injected with a Sith poison that brought out his dark side in Tales of the Jedi. It was presented as a cho- choice Ulick made then, and it, it just seems wrong on some level, just to me. That's, you know, hobby horse. Um, it's certainly a loose definition of willingly there. As the cutscene between Malak and Bastila ends, we see the Iban Hawk drop out of hyperspace in Lehan, the Starforge system. Situated above the system star, the Starforge was a massive space station and orbital foundry that once powered the Infinite Empire, but now worked for Malak's Sith Empire. The Starforge is composed of three massive columns jutting out vertically from the spherical command center, with the columns extending downward toward the star to collect star matter. From the cockpit of the Iban Hawk, Karth, Anasi, and Revan took look on in amazement and transmit the location of the Star Forge to Admiral Forn Dodana of the Republic. Almost immediately, the Iban Hawk is being chased by Sith snub fighters and someone needs to get on the turret. Revan shoots down a few of the Sith ships, but the Iban Hawk's evasive maneuvers 
took the ship into a disruptor field that fried its systems but doesn't affect Sith ships. Thanks to some fancy flying, Karth brings the Ebon Hawk in for a crash landing on a beach on the strange world. The ship is badly damaged, suffering damage to navigation systems, hyperdrive stabilizers, and all communications. The beach is a ship graveyard, and Candrus Ordo notes that many of the ships appear to be ancient, from battles fought thousands of years in the past. Though there are some newer ships, such as a half-buried hammerhead cruiser, indicating that a few recent visitors met a similar fate. Worse yet, the entire Republic fleet will be entering the system soon enough, and if they aren't warned about the disruptor field, they will all be annihilated by the waiting Sith fleet. All nine companions meet to discuss options. They agree to scavenge the area for supplies to repair the ship, look for a way to disable the disruptor field, and warn the Republic. Venturing out of the ship, the companions find a beautiful beach that would make a great vacation spot if the planet didn't have such bad vibes. Location Profile Ricotta Prime Situated in the remote west of the galaxy in a region known as the Temperate Waste, Ricotta Prime is an isolated tropical world that orbits the star Lehon. Ricotta Prime, which is also known as Lehon, was orbited by two moons, one of which was close enough to be vis- visible during daylight and take up much of the horizon. The world was almost totally covered in water, save for a few islands and uh, archipelagos. Archipelagos, why did I say it like that? Dotting the surface, giving it a tropical climate with tons of beachfront property. Though it may have been a much different world before the Rakatan Civil War. Many thousands of years before the Old Republic formed, Rakata Prime was visited by the highly advanced Qua species using one of their infinity gates, which allowed them to teleport from one gate to another. After the Qua arrived, they taught the native Rakata species to use the force and technologically raised the Rakata up, as the Qua were wont to do. However, the Rakata did not adhere to Qua teachings on balance, instead relying solely on the dark side of the force, which they used to power all their technology. When the Qua found out, they decided to retreat. A large and brutal battle was fought on Lahone, with many Qua dying to delay the Rakata in advance, giving their comrades time to dismantle the Infinity Gate. Though the Qua were successful in destroying the, that gate, the Rakata had still learned enough to develop hyperdrive technology that could only travel between worlds rich in the Force. From there, the Rakata built an infinite empire that spanned the entire galaxy with Rakata Prime as its capital. In 30,000 BBY, the, the Rakata finished their greatest work, the enormous dark side foundry known as the Starforge, situated above and feeding off of the Star Lahon. The Infinite Empire was ascendant, controlling more than 500 worlds, 1 trillion slaves, and a foundry capable of creating a nearly limitless war machine. However, all was not well. Sometime after 30,000, the Rakatan Civil War began as rival warlords vied for power over the Infinite Empire. Little did they know the dark side power of the Starforge combined with their own innate use of the dark side to push them toward more war and their demise. By the year 25,783 BBY, the Rakata were losing their connection to the Force and dying due to a mysterious plague. These losses led to several mostly unsuccessful slave uprisings. Within 600 years, however, plague had infected the entire species and most Rakata were completely blind to to the Force. This caused a not insignificant problem for the Rakata, since all their technology was imbued and controlled with the dark side of the Force. While a tiny number of Rakata still possessed some Force affinity, more than 99% of Rakata were disarmed seemingly overnight, leading hundreds of slave rebellions to occur almost simultaneously in 25,200. After more than 10,000 years of galactic dominance, the Infinite Empire collapsed as Rakata became extinct in the galaxy outside Rakata Prime, the finite empire, if you will. The only Rakata left in the galaxy were those on because its location was a secret to the former slave races. The last vestiges of the infinite empire would die on Rakata Prime as the final battle of the Rakatan civil war played out. 
the few warriors who could still control ships bombarded each other and Rakata Prime in a last-ditch effort for control, fueled by the dark side power of the Star Forge. The resulting cataclysm altered Lihon. After the destruction, the few Rakata who survived on Lihon regressed into primitive tribes forgotten by the galaxy until 3959. In that year, Darth Revan and Darth Malak located the Rakatan homeworld after finding the star maps. Revan lied to the Rakatan elders to gain access to the Temple of the Ancients and the Star Forge, where he proclaimed his new Sith Empire. In 3956, when the Iban Huk crashes on the surface, Rakata Prime is inhabited by a few warring factions of primitive Rakata, a few Rancors, and, oddly enough, Gizka. Even though we're calling it Rakata Prime, that name wasn't introduced until a 2005 reference book. The name Lihon wasn't used until the 2009 novel Darth Bane, Path of Destruction. In Knights of the Republic, the planet is referred to as the Nameless or Unknown World. That brings us to Canon Alert 34. Rakata Prime was canonized by its appearance on a map of the galaxy in 2015's The Force Awakens Visual Dictionary, written by Pablo Hidalgo. The planet is located in the same part of the galaxy as it was in Legends, and that's really all we know about it, outside of one passing mention in an issue of the Star Wars Adventures Young Reader comic. Revan and his companions depart the busted Ebon Hawk, and Zalbar comments that hopefully the crash took care of their Giska problem. Back in episode 26, the Ebon Hawk became infested with the tiny, armless reptiles who breed like rabbits after a crate was mistakenly delivered to the ship on Tatooine. Revan protested the delivery, but the crate was already on the ship and it could be removed without completing a mountain of paperwork, and that's just not how Revan does things. The delivery on Tatooine starts the trouble with Giska's side quest, which can be resolved in a number of ways on a number of worlds. The quickest and dirtiest approach is to kill them with poison that can be purchased on Tatooine or Kashyyyk. A quick dose of poison to one of the Giska on the Ebon Hawk causes it to become sickly and feral, attacking other Giska to spread the poison. Soon enough, they're all dead. There's no dark side alignment shift for this, but we still didn't do it because it seems inhumane. It's not like the Giska do anything other than hop around the ship and fuck at an alarming rate, reproducing every couple of days. The second option for ridding the ship of Giska is to donate them to a cellcath named Nubasa on Manon. Nubasa wants to start up a zoo of alien creatures and was forced to turn to smuggling and the black market due to Manon's stringent rules. Revan declined to do this because we forgot to discuss it when we were on Manon. Also, Revan has one final option to rid himself of the Giska and all it requires is patience. If the Gizka still inhabit the Ebon Hawk when it crashes on Rakata Prime, they flee the ship of their own accord, just like Big Z said. Thus, Revan completes the Gizka side quest through sheer forgetfulness, and the Gizka seem happy to live on Rakata Prime, and that's good enough for us. That is amazing. I'm so excited for Star Wars Tribbles. Um... I mean, yeah, so, that's 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 exactly what it is. I don't, uh, I've never watched a lot of Star Trek, but yeah, even I knew it was reference to that. Probably that one guy you can imagine at Bioware who's like just doing this and not really into Star Wars, and he figures out a way. <laughs> More of a Trek guy, put that in. There. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, <laughs> no, you're you're exactly right. <laughs> so this is also the point where a lady Revan can further her romance with Karth. Sure, she can break his heart, but unless you're pursuing a relationship with Johanni instead, Karth is your man. By now, Revan's redeemed his son, Dustil, and helped the two reconcile, and they've shared the reveal together, so the only thing left is to confess their love on the beach of an unknown world. Karth says he wants a future with Lady Revan, a future he never thought he'd have again after his wife was murdered. Revan still isn't sure. What if she makes the wrong choice? What if she falls to the dark side again? Anasi says he's willing to take that risk and believes he could bring her back from the darkness if he had to. Finally, Karth professes his love and Revan reciprocate and the couple is ready to face destiny together. It's really a nice little thing for Karth to find love again 
and being able to trust again after so much heartbreak and betrayal. This dialogue has to be completed before entering the Temple of the Ancients or the romance is locked. Regardless of Revan's gender or romantic choices, the beaches of Rakata Prime aren't safe. They are teeming with bands of feral Rakatan warriors wielding vibroblades and young rancors. While we've talked about the Rakata every episode and even seen some likenesses in their architecture, this is our first look at the Rakata in the flesh. They are bipedal humanoid amphibians with large conical heads and an eye stalk jutting out of each side of their heads. The first few groups are slayed easily, but then a Rakatan elite warrior intervened to invite Revan to meet with the One, the supposed great champion of the Rakata. No one else in the party is able to understand the Rakatan language spoken by the elite warrior except Revan. Even HK-47, who is fluent in millions of forms of communication, doesn't understand the native dialect. Apparently, the Revan, the reveal jogged more of Revan's memory than we know, because he certainly couldn't understand Rakuten when the ancient droids spoke it in the Dantooine star map temple. This is just as baffling to Revan's companions as it is to us. The One is the leader of the Black Rakata, one of the largest tribes of Rakata in the world. For 20 years, the One united the numerous warring tribes of Rakata across many of the islands of Lahon and united his people through warfare like no Rakatan Rakatan leader had for thousands of years. He initially gained infamy by killing a Mandalorian who crash-landed on the planet and then set about building an army. After uniting his home island through war, the One's armies set across the seas and conquered every island and archipelago within a month's sail. In total, the One conquered more than 100 islands using each victory to enlarge his army and assimilate defeated enemies into his tribe, the Black Rakata. Then word reached him of a hidden temple that held secrets to the power of the the ancient Rakata. The one desired this power and invaded the main island shortly before Darth Revan and Darth Malak arrived in 3959. The one attempted a frontal assault on the temple, but was repelled by its defenses and the elders, another tribe of Rakata who protect the temple. The elders possess a rudimentary level of technology that utterly vexed the one as all his battles were fought with melee weapons and riding rancors. Soon the tribes he led fell to end fighting and his forces began to splinter, but the one stayed on the main island, determined to enter the Temple of the Ancients. It was at this point in 3959 that the one met Revan, met Darth Revan, and they hatched a plan that would allow Revan to enter the temple after stealing a sacred tome from the elders. Unfortunately, the one trusted Darth Revan, who also made a deal with the elders to destroy the Starforge and then double-cross both tribes, taking control of the Starforge and using it for his own devices. In the three years since, the one and some of his Black Arcata remained on the main island, trying and failing to defeat the elders and access the temple. After Revan agreed to meet the One, he and his companions were ushered into the arena of the One, and while Revan's mind might have been destroyed, the One remembers all too well. Seems like the gang might be in trouble here. Well, not really. The Black Rakata and the One have nothing in the way of technology, and their rancors, though ferocious, are not yet full-grown. And even if they were, come on, Revan took down three Terentitex on Korriban, two of them all by his lonesome. It's really hard to build dramatic tension when your character hit the level cap of 20 like three star maps ago, but we will continue to try. The One brings up Revan's betrayal three years earlier, but he truly doesn't remember anything. And after the One is satisfied that Revan does have amnesia, he agrees to answer some questions. He'll talk about his last meeting with Revan, what little he knows of the Temple of the Ancients and of the Elders. The One also answers the big language question. In 3959, Darth Revan used strange magics, aka the dark side of the Force, to rip the Rakuten language from their minds while forcing an understanding of Galactic Basic on the Rakata so they could aid the search for the secrets of the Starforge. We also find find out that the Rancor were stranded after another starship crashed and that the Black Rakata raised them as pets and beasts of burden. Even knowing all this, the One is still incredibly gullible and frees the group after Revan promises that he will really slaughter the Elders this time and return with the secrets of the Temple. In the meantime, the One gives 
Revan run of the settlement so some ship components may be scavenged. The lore master also resides in the Black Rakata settlement, and he can tell Revan the history of his people, much like the Sand People storyteller did back on Tatooine. If you want to hear the broad history of the Rakata and how they laid waste to Tatooine, check out episode 26. The lore master also provides a lot of background on the one we mentioned earlier. Lastly, Revan speaks with Warmaster Garn, who asks for assistance with a group of invisible warriors who keep attacking his parties with superior technology. The companions depart the Black Rakata settlement and take the path toward the temple and the Elder Tribe. Realistically, there aren't many side quests on Rakata Prime. Outside these invisible Mandalorians and helping the Elder Researcher, there ain't much. Yes, we learn about the history of the Rakata, but we already covered that in greater detail in episode 26 and did a little more about it in the location profile above. On the beach outside the temple entrance, Revan, HK-47, and Big Z run into those invisible warriors Garn talked about. Out of nowhere, six Mandalorians decloak and attack the group, but that was a mistake. Picking on technologically backwards Rakata is one thing, but Revan and his companions are not so easily defeated. Some blaster and bowcaster fire later, all the Mandalorians lay dead, and Revan beheads the captain, taking the severed head as proof of his success. Through the next clearing, the companions encounter a large wall with electricity pulsing between three tall pylons. A hologram gatekeeper recognizes Revan and allows the group to pass to speak with the elders. The elders, much like the one, remember Revan from the last time and his betrayal. Yet again, Revan pleads his innocence in in this regard on account of amnesia, but the elders are still skeptical. Revan claims that he only wants to destroy the Starforge, but that's what he said last time, so the elders require a show of good faith. If Revan frees the prisoners from the One's camp, they will give him access to the Temple of the Ancients, which holds the secrets of the Starforge and is the location of the Disruptor Field Generator. We also know the elders... We also get to know the elders a little better and find out that they are the descendants of the priest caste of the old infinite empire, and they exist now to carry on the stories of the Rakata so that others don't make their same mistakes in the future. They wish to destroy the Starforge to prevent the infinite empire from returning to its old ways. We also find out the elders aren't, uh, the elders can't produce new technology. They just have access to a limited supply of old weapons and shields from before the fall of the infinite empire. On the way out of the elder settlement, there are two Rakata to speak with. First is Keeper Orsa, who acts as the lore master for the elders and provides even more background on their tribe. In 25,200 BBY, when the Rakuten Civil War ended with the bombardment of Leon, the priestcast were the only tribe to truly survive the fall. Protected by the ancient shields and temples, the priestcast emerged as the only life on the planet for some time before other scattered tribes emerged from their underground caves. The priests still retained some small affinity for the Force for thousands of years because they were not affected by the plague to the same extent. Seeing the destruction they had wrought and realizing that their infinite empire had been a cruel, destructive regime, the priest case used their meager strength in the Force to close up the secrets within the temple. Only a Force user may open the temple, but there are great dangers and traps that lie within. Finally, Orsa admits the Elders could easily turn their technology on the One and his Black Rakata and obliterate them, but doing so would make them just as bad as their ancestors. Before departing the settlement, Revan also speaks with the researcher La'awa, who is working to breed a force-sensitive Rakata once again. They have a small number of beings who seem to be born slightly attuned to the force, if not full force-sensitive. Elder researchers have been performing these experiments for centuries and have a great deal of data, but still need more. La'awa believes the elders stored some genetic data in the temple's ancient computer and asks Revan to retrieve it if he has a chance. Laala also seeks the living body of the One for research because they believe he might hold some genetic markers and be very nearly Force-sensitive. But that's a pipe dream, so I'll have to settle for taking the genetic data from the Egypt computer. With this info in hand, it's time to decide whether to help with the One and his Black Rakata or the Elders. Of course, the light side choice is the Elders, so we're going with that. 
when returning to the Black Ricotta settlement, Revan Revan can give the Mandalorian head to Warmaster Garn to complete that quest and get some good loot for his trouble. Then Revan frees some of the Elder Tribe hostages the one is holding, and the jig is up. The one is a formidable formidable opponent, and he's joined by a number of Rakatan elite warriors and a young Rancor, but it's not enough. Revan and his companions make short work of the Black Rakata and their sweet pet Rancors. Once the settlement is cleared, Revan can loot the rest of the gear lying around to get some pretty good armor and other items scavenged by the Black Rakata over the years. The companions return once more to the Elder Settlement and are greeted as friends. The freed hostages have already returned, saying that Revan freed them and slaughtered the Black Rakata. The Elders now believe they can trust Revan again and agree to open the Temple of the Ancients for him and him alone. And for good measure, Revan finds out that Dark Jedi patrol the Temple uh the Temple of the Ancients, after Darth Revan and Darth Malak found the controls to shut down and open the shield gate. The Sith have been using it for some time to shuttle soldiers and dark Jedi on and off world. When Revan is ready, he heads to the temple entrance alone, and we finally get a good look at and we finally get a good look at it. The Temple of the Ancients sat atop a hill on the main island overlooking a sea with a few islands off in the distance. Though some of it is crumbling due to age, the ancient ruin is still a sight to behold, with an entrance ramp leading to the main temple floor and three spires reaching into the sky, much like the three pillars of the Starforge. In truth, it really looks like the old Bulgarian Communist Party headquarters. There's likely no connection between the two, but the resemblance is really uncanny, and uh, we'll post a picture on the Twitter account. Uh, the elders gather to perform the sacred ritual to allow Riven inside the temple, uh, but Jahani, Jahani and Jolie Bendo interrupt the ritual. They each felt the dark premonition through the force and are insistent on accompanying Revan inside to keep him from straying down the dark path again. The, the elders relent and allow all three companions inside. Before we get to discover the legends of the hidden temple, the game gives us a cutscene of Sith preparations for the great battle to come on the Starforge command deck. Admiral Varko, Saul Karath's replacement, informs Malak that the Starforge is operating at 300% expected capacity, which is up from the 200% noted earlier. Darth Malak listens while a medical droid works on his face and turns around to reveal his true face without the metal vocabulator. Admiral Varko was obviously unprepared for this given the look on his face, but Malak is undeterred. With no face or jaw below his nose, Malik's neck is shown to have a vocabulator in the center and a small blue light flashes when he talks. Darth Malik is pleased and orders the fleet to assemble for the attack on the core worlds. Once his new apprentice, Bastila Shan, uses her battle meditation to power the Sith fleet, they will be invincible and the Republic will fall. That means Bastila has fallen to the dark side and that's very bad news for Revan given their force bond and his history with the dark. No word on what Sith name she used, but we're hoping it was something good like Darth Shan. Far below on Rakata Prime, Revan, Jolie, and Johanni enter the Temple of the Ancients and face a number of droids and dark Jedi. Upon entry, the companions find a large room with two doors on either side, one to the catacombs and the other to the summit. The summit passage is sealed tight and must be unlocked elsewhere, so Revan, Jolie, and Johanni make for the temple sub-level. Along the way, they fight and kill more than a dozen Dark Jedi and Sith droids who put up very little resistance, though there is a Sith Master who says he's been training specifically to fight Revan. Unfortunately, he should have trained harder because he dies like all the rest, dropping some good loot for our trouble. As the trio descend into the catacombs, they notice the lower level is almost wholly deserted, save a single Sith assault droid and the ancient computer. The ancient computer remembers Revan, but detects some subtle changes to his neurological patterns, updating its systems accordingly. The ancient computer doesn't know or care about Revan's previous betrayal and unlocks the massive door leading to the summit from the main level. The disruptor field can only be deactivated from the summit according to the computer, which is convenient. Revan also learns the secrets the 
the elders buried in the hidden temple and a great deal about the nature of the Star Forge, both of which we will discuss when we arrive on the super weapon next episode. Before departing, Revan retrieves a trove of genetic information from the computer for researcher Laawa. Once that is retrieved, it's time to ascend the ancient stone steps and face destiny. We, of course, remember to save the game here in case we mess up and need to save scum later. The summit of the Temple of the Ancients is a sun-dappled testament to the glory of the old infinite empire and is empty save one obscured figure. As the companions move closer, the figure is revealed to be Bastila Shan, cloaked in dark in black robes and looking changed. Juhani and Revan implore Bastila to escape with them before Darth Malak arrives, because they don't yet understand that Shan has turned to the dark side. Bastila mocks the companions as fools and stooges who only do the bidding of the Jedi Order, saying that she tried to hold to the light side, but a week of ceaseless torture broke her. Darth Malak showed her the truth about the lies of the Jedi Council, and Bastila accepted Sith teachings, becoming Malak's new apprentice. Bastila ignites her new red double-bladed lightsaber while the trio of companions ignite theirs, and the duel on the Temple of the Ancients begins. To be honest, Bastila really looks like the shot of Dark Ray in the new episode, episode 9 trailer. We don't know if they modeled it after that at all but it looks a lot like that once bastila's health has been cut in half she force pushes she force pushes her opponents to the ground and another dialogue commences the duel on the temple of the ancients doesn't last very long but it does contain the game's most important decision revan must choose between the light and the dark bastila was surprised that revan still had such raw power in the force despite being turned into a pawn of the Jedi Council. Sean, however, now sees that Revan could return and be the Dark Lord of the Sith once again. She offers to become Revan's apprentice, and he could once again rule the galaxy. Bastila reminds Revan of the lies the Council told, how they wiped his old memories away, how they wiped his old identity away, how they made him into their puppet. The force bond between Bastila and Revan is strong, making it easier for them to read each other's thoughts. Sean can feel how close she is to turning Revan once again. By making Revan face his past decisions and demons, he's banking that his anger and hatred of the Jedi will become evident. And then she offers one final enticement. Without the Jedi teachings on attachment, Bastila is free to give in to her passion for Revan, offering to become not only his apprentice, but also his lover. The decision is momentous and isn't set by other game choices. Even the most evil dark side Revan can go choose the light, while the most pious Revan, like the canonical one, can choose the darkness. There's no restriction on it, and if Revan takes up the mantle of Dark Lord once again, he slays Jolie and Johanni easily, taking Bastila as his new Sith apprentice on the Temple Summit. However, we know that Revan is canonically a good boy, and he declines Bastila's invitation with the help of Jolie and Johanni. Revan turns the tables on Bastila, declaring that while their force bond is strong, their love for one another transcends their bond. Finally, Revan begs Bastila to come back to the light and states, in no uncertain terms, The Dark Lord Revan is dead. I am a servant of the light now. Shan stumbles through a response, clearly dwelling on her love for Revan, but then decides to flee in her G-Wing to the Starforge to stop herself from being redeemed. The companions then deactivated the Disruptor Field, clearing the path to the Starforge. With the Disruptor Field down, Revan, Jolie, and Jihani depart the Temple of the Ancients, but not before a little romance between Jihani and Lady Revan. If Revan helped Jihani during her encounter with Zor and completed the required dialogue checks, the option for romance is still open. If Revan turns away from the dark side for good on the Temple Summit, Jihani stops her before they descend. Jihani, never great with expressing non-murderous emotions, confesses that she cares deeply for Revan, who says she feels the same way. The new couple agree that they can sort out all the details after Darth Malak is defeated, but it's enough for now that both Revan and Jihani have somebody they can love and rely on again. 
Regardless of gender and romance options, Revan has to get moving because Bastila is back on the Starforge, warning Darth Malak by now. In the Elder Settlement, Revan returns the genetic data to researcher Laawa and tells the Elder Tribe that he must visit the Starforge to destroy it. Revan, Jahani, and Jolie uh, then arrive back on the central beach in front of the Ebon Hawk. The rest of the companions stand out stand outside the ship, eagerly awaiting news on the encounter in the temple. Karth is grief-stricken after hearing of Basilis' fall to the dark side, as they have been friends for quite some time. Onassi is understandably shaken because Bastila was so committed to the Jedi Order, but Jolie points out that she was always brash and headstrong, two traits that Darth Malik preyed upon. Karth, Juhani, and Jolie talk it out and agree that Shang can still be saved, but there's no time to waste. Revan vows to redeem Bastila and defeat Malak on the Starforge. Then the companions jump in the Ebon Hawk, headed for the Starforge. Meanwhile, every ship the Republic could muster is en route via hyperspace, with Darth Malak's Sith fleet protecting the Starforge, awaiting the Republic's arrival. We will leave the story here with everyone converging on the Starforge and pick it up next time to finish our series on Knights of the Old Republic with the Battle of Rakata Prime. And while we're leaving that cliffhanger, we still have some side quests to finish up. This one is on the Rakuten Mind Prison prison and the death of Mishin Zhao. After a short break, everyone's favorite segment returns to talk about the Rakuten Mind Prison, Night Seal Republic's most unique side quest, and the most fucked up dark side choice in the game, which occurs on Rakata Prime. The Rakuten Mind Prison isn't completed on Rakata Prime, but we decided to save it because it goes better with the rest of the Rakata content. To discuss the Mind Prison, we have to jump back in time to our last episode because the side quest is acquired on Korriban. At the Dresde Dock, Revan is approached by an unsavory Rudian smuggler named Lurs Kesh, who has some unfinished business with the Ebon Hawk. Kesh paid Davik Kang for a large amount of spice that should be hidden in one of the Hawk's secret smuggling compartments. The compartment is locked until Revan meets Kesh, who provides the access code. Revan gives over the spice, but Lurs has another proposition, if Revan is interested. In exchange for a hefty sum of credits, Revan will transport a mysterious box from Korban to Mata the Hut on Tatooine. Revan agreed, as the quest seemed simple enough, but he really shouldn't have looked in the mysterious box, especially after Kesh warned him not to look in the mysterious box. Just because it's covered in strange runes and really, really mysterious doesn't mean you should look at it. Sure, it could be something bad, but what if it's cool loot? Unfortunately, curiosity got the better of Revan on the voyage from Korban to Tatooine because, much like Brad Pitt's character in the movie Seven, he asked what's in the box. Immediately after opening the box, Revan realized he'd made a terrible decision. His mind was transported into a stark white expanse with no beginning and no end and nothing in any direction except four stone Rakuten columns, a Rakuten male, and a cot for sleeping. Revan was locked in a Rakuten mind prison, and worse yet, he has to solve riddles to escape. I don't know what this game's thing is with riddles, but, you know. The imprisoned one, as he was later known, is a Rakata who had been locked inside the mind prison for at least 22,000 years after after inciting a rebellion within the Infinite Empire, or so they claimed. The Rakata also claim, claims that two others came before Revan, but neither understood his language and ran off in different directions until they were out of sight. The Rakata hasn't seen them since, so he doesn't recommend the whole running off thing. When the box is opened, the person's mind is transported inside while their body remains a husk outside. The imprisoned one says he knows a ritual to escape the prison, but it will only work for one of them. The Rakata's body has long since turned to dust, but he can use Revan's currently vacant husk under one condition. Revan has to agree to it. See, Revan doesn't Revan doesn't know how to escape, but the imprisoned one can't enter Revan's body without his permission, which is apparently how these things work. 
the impri- the imprisoned one proposes a game of riddles to determine who would get the body outside the box. Revan must answer certain riddles and then choose from a list to ask the imprisoned one. The first to answer incorrectly uh, loses and is locked away for all of eternity. Indeed, if the player does answer incorrectly, the game just ends. Uh, Revan really shouldn't have looked in that box. The riddles used by Revan and the imprisoned one are largely mundane, but the whole event feels a lot like the game of riddles played between Gollum and Bilbo Baggins in J.R.R. Tolkien's The Hobbit. That reference is clearly intentional, as Revan can ask one of Gollum's riddles from the book. Quote, what has roots as nobody sees is taller than the trees. Up, up it goes, and yet it never grows. End quote. The answer is a mountain. Both Bilbo and the imprisonment answered that riddle correctly. There are at least two riddles Revan can ask that the imprisoned one will miss, and one of them is a riff on the famous nursery rhyme. As I was going to St. Ives, I met a man with seven wives. Each wife had seven sacks, every sack had seven cats, and every cat had seven kittens. Kittens, cats, sacks, and wives. How many were going to St. Ives? You might also remember this riddle from the movie Die Hard with a Vengeance. Riven instead asks a shortened Star Wars version. As I'm flying to Dantooine, I meet five ships. Each ship has five crewmen. Each crewman has five pets. How many are going to Dantooine? Regardless of whether the man was going to Dantooine or St. Ives, the answer is always one person. The person telling the joke is the only one going to Dantooine or St. Ives. When the imprisoned one couldn't answer, he held up his end of the bargain and performed the ritual, allowing Revan to escape back into his own body. There are no light-dark alignment shifts for completing the Rakata Mine Prison side quest, but it is implied in the later reference books that numerous mine prisons existed and there were different types in addition to the one Revan entered. Then, the Unknown Regions tabletop RPG expansion provided additional details showing that the Sith species under King Atas learned to use mine prisons and one of their kind was locked away sometime before 27,700 BBY. The box itself is not hazardous unless opened improperly or it had lost proper protections. In either case, an individual's mind could be lost within for opening the box. In the end, Revan delivered the mysterious box to Mada the Hutt on Tatooine, imploring him not to open the box. The Ebon Hawk then traveled to the Starforge system. We'd like to thank listener um, at Mother of Furbies for asking us how to talk, for asking us to talk about the Mind Prison side quest. I mean, I'm sure that nursery rhyme is is famous for other reasons, but I only know it from the movie uh, Die Hard with a Vengeance. So yeah, you can. Uh, you can tell um, how cultured I am. Uh, the other thing we wanted to discuss in side quest focuses on the dark side choices Revan can make if he joins Bastilba, and again takes control of the Sith on the summit of the Temple of the Ancients. As we said earlier, after Revan falls back to the dark side, he first kills Jahani and Jilly Bindo, who oppose him on the Temple Summit. These are trusted companions, sure, but if you're doing a dark side playthrough, you can't blink at having to kill a couple of Jedi Knights. Revan easily kills both and departs for the Ebon Hawk with his new apprentice slash lover, Bastila. On the beach, Karth is elated to see Bastila, but the absence of Jolie and Juhani was troubling to say the least. Revan proclaimed that he had taken the mantle of Dark Lord of the Sith and demanded obedience from his remaining companions, Karth, HK-47, T3 and 4, Candorous Ordo, Mission, and Zalbar. The the droids both agreed to serve Revan as a Sith Lord because of their programming, but HK-47 is particularly excited for the new murderous possibilities. Karth refuses to believe another betrayal, wanting to save both Revan and Bastila from the dark side. Darth Revan is inclined to kill Karth right there, but Bastila stays his hand momentarily. Candorous, ever the Revan fanboy, swears allegiance immediately. Dark, light, it doesn't matter to Ordo, he'll always follow Revan. That leaves Mission Vow and her Wookiee best friend, Big Z. Mission sides with Karth and isn't having this shit for one second. She remembers what the Sith did to Terrace and knows they're despicable. Karth, ever the tragic hero, tried to stage a breakout to allow both he and Mission to flee, but it was not to be. 
Karth was able to get away and distract Revan, but Mission was too, just too overwhelmed by the situation. Mission Val, all of 14 years old, stood up to the most powerful Force user of his age, and she would die horribly for having courage in her convictions. Even at this late moment, Mission still believed Revan wouldn't harm her himself and that he hadn't truly fallen to the dark side. Zalbar says that he must abide by his life debt and sides with Revan, but vows he that he won't hurt Mission. The young Twi'lek then taunted Revan, saying he'd have to do his own dirty work if he wanted to kill her, which isn't technically true. Now Revan can prove Mission wrong by killing the young Twi'lek and her Wookiee best friend right there with his twin lightsabers, but that's not fucked up enough. Instead, Revan turns to Zalbar and uses the Force to dominate the Wookiee's mind, demanding strict obedience to the life debt. Revan's domination is complete and his Force persuasion is successful. Big Z cries that his life debt is bigger than one life and that he must honor all Wookiees by taking Mission's life. Mission begged her best friend, the only good family she ever had, to stop, but Zalbar couldn't fight Revan's dark side power. In tears, Zalbar begged forgiveness before using Paka's blade to cut down a child in a single blow. Mission Vow, all of 14 years old, falls dead on the beaches of an unknown world. When he sees this, Zalbar finally comprehends the enormity of what he had just done and falls down in the sand, sobbing. Darkside Bastila is impressed, to say the least. Even she didn't believe Revan could be so evil, but with this act he easily surpassed even Darth Malak. The remaining companions then head to the Star Fords, though Zalbar immediately realizes he can't, ev- he can't continue to fall Revan and gives up on his life debt. Big Z attacks Revan and dies, but at least he wasn't following the reborn Darth Revan any longer. We'll discuss the alternate Darkside endings next week, But let's back up here and think about this again. It's already weird enough that Mission is 14 years old and on this quest to save the universe with a bunch of random adults, but she's also brave and has proven herself time and again. Then the game allows the player to order her death at the hands of her best friend and surrogate big brother in cold blood. It is, quite easily, one of the most fucked up choices any video game has ever offered, and it deserved special mention in any recounting of Knights of the Old Republic. Thanks to at Libcrusher on Twitter for the suggestion, even if it is ending this episode on a down note. Oh, and even if this is ending on a down note, you can just go back like five minutes on that exciting cliffhanger bit. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, I think I've played. Th- I think I've played through this game like twelve, eleven, or twelve times, and like I've already said, I'm a big baby when it comes to doing dark side stuff. I can't tell, uh, you know, fake computer characters. I can't be mean to them. Um, uh, but I, I think I've done. I think out of all those playthroughs, I've I've only ever been able to do that that choice once, and I was just like, wow, this is, wow, this is bad. <laughs> yeah, it is. It seems um, impressively written, and also. Uh, deeply deeply upsetting oh yeah oh wow. yeah it's it's it is that <laughs> well thank you all for listening to a people's history of the old republic in all its messy thorny bits next time we won't end on such a sad note probably we will finally get to see the Star Forge in all its glory, and we will finish up Knights of the Old Republic with the Battle of Rakata Prime. Then we will begin covering the five-year gap that follows Knights of the Old Republic as we introduce Knights of the Old Republic 2. Please rate, comment, and subscribe to FOTOR on Apple, Google, or wherever you listen to podcasts. Thank you for the five-star ratings on iTunes. Ratings and comments help the show, and we really appreciate them. You can follow us on Twitter at Photorpod or email us at photorpodcast at gmail.com. Send us questions and comments, and we will answer them on the show. I'm at Atherton.kd on Twitter. And I'm at LucasAmazing on Twitter. Thank you again, and may the Force be with you.